millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And let me start by saying I was really, really saddened to hear the death of Father Gerard Galvin, who I'm told died peacefully in Cork University Hospital. He, of course, had been diagnosed with incurable cancer. I would have met Father Gerard a number of times in West Cork over the years, but I hadn't spoken to him and I certainly hadn't seen him since he became unwell. He was a native of Timaleague. He was ordained in the late 70s and he served in a variety of parishes. He had been stationed in Gronabrahor. He had served as a priest in Skibbereen, in Passage West, in Monkstown, in Clonakilty and of course his final parish was in Muintabara. And no matter where he went, he was always such a popular, popular uh, priest. And he posted a really emotional online farewell to his uh, parishioners a number of months ago. And actually we reached out to him. John Paul had made contact with him after he put up that piece on social media to see if he wanted to have a chat, if he wanted to join us. We didn't want to put any pressure on him uh, because he was very unwell even at that stage and was having difficulties breathing and difficulties uh, talking. So we didn't put any uh, pressure uh, on him. And I'm glad we didn't. I I really am glad we didn't, even though I would have loved to have had one final chat uh, with him. He did retire earlier uh, this year. He'd been in, he'd been parish priest in Winterborough since 2009 and the video he put up in August, I mean, there was just huge reaction to it and a huge outpouring of love and support for Father Galvin when he put up that uh, video. He spoke on the video about the fact that he had been diagnosed with incurable cancer. It was in his bones and unfortunately it was also in his lungs. But it was you couldn't have watched that video and not have been emotional because he spoke about the pain he was in. He spoke about that he was having difficulty uh, sleeping, uh, but he wanted to do something. He wanted to almost explain to people what, what was going on and he was doing it as well. Almost, I felt, as a goodbye. And, you know, he spoke about the fact that this wasn't the way he wanted it to end. He would love to have gone out and met with people and took people's hands and spoke to people in uh, person to say his goodbyes. Well, obviously, because of COVID, uh, he couldn't end as well because he was so unwell and he had so little energy it wasn't possible but in that video clip he spoke of his joy of serving in the parish over the last decade you know he spoke about the first holy communions the confirmations the weddings the baptisms all the wonderful joyful events that he got to be a, a part of he talked about how much he had learned from the community and in particular how much he learned from the children who he described as being very funny and great crack he said at the time their endless ability 
to surprise me is a wonderful thing. And then he spoke of the sorrow of funerals and the heartbreak of death. And he said he tried his best to help people in their sorrow and in their need. And then he went on to thank the good people of West Cork for their financial and their spiritual support uh, over the years. And then he asked for people's prayers and he said people's prayers at that time in his life gave him the greatest healing. He said what that means in real terms for me is that cancer will not be my life cancer is not my uh, life. He also in the video went on to praise the people of Winterbarra for making him feel so welcome when he joined the parish in 2009. So he is a man who certainly left his mark on any of the parishes where he served and uh, he'll be he'll be missed and I think the news of his death will come with great sadness to so many people. So rest in peace uh, Father Gerard and our deepest sympathies to his family and also to his parishioners who are suffering a loss uh, as well. 1850 We are today looking for your thoughts and uh, comments on what the government may or may not do and what you feel the government should or should not do. And this is with regard to delaying the removal of the final COVID-19 restrictions. There has been a sudden change in the behaviour of the virus. It is now causing alarm, particularly causing alarm among senior health officials. Uh, 2,066, that was the number of new cases last night. And I'm sure wasn't there another day this week that the figures went over 2,000 as well. Neffet are informing the government of their concerns over the rise in the number of tests that have been carried out. They're concerned about the positivity rate, but more importantly, something that Neffet are always concerned about, are the number of people that end up in hospitals. It is unclear whether the change in the trajectory of the virus, if it's temporary, if it's just for whatever reason, a bit of a blip, are the fear now is, is it is there evidence there of a more sustained step change in the virus? And officials now are going to obviously have to assess all the data in the coming days, say for the last two weeks and what happens across this week. The unexpected shift comes as the country, the government are due to remove all of the remaining COVID restrictions tomorrow week. So yeah, literally is that, uh, it's in that short a time scale. And the plan was that all the rest of the restrictions would be lifted uh, tomorrow week. The only ones they were going to leave was the wearing of masks in retail settings and the wearing of masks uh, on public transport. Everything else was going to go out the door. Things like from tomorrow week, the plan was you wouldn't need your COVID passport anymore. If you were going to go into any kind of an establishment indoors, you wouldn't need to show that you'd been vaccinated uh, or not. There was also going to lift restrictions on the number of people that were going to be indoors. So it meant that more hospitality could open up. Things like nightclubs uh, could go ahead. Concerts, you know, the two metre social distancing uh, would be gone. And we were all on target for that to happen tomorrow week. But now, with the way the figures are going, I think it has a lot of our senior health officials scratching their heads saying we need to look at this again. We know, for example, that Neffet is meeting next Monday and next Monday they will assess the situation. Then, obviously, they make their recommendations because the plan was to be that all the restrictions would be lifted tomorrow week. But that was waiting on Neffet to give the government the go-ahead. That date of 
October 22nd wasn't set in stone. It was the date that was picked pending that everything was going to go okay and for Neffert to give the nod. I'm listening to the rumblings coming out from Neffert at the moment. I can't see them next Monday turning around to the government and saying, yes, everything is okay. We have to keep a very close eye on the figures from here to a Monday and particularly on the hospitalisations numbers. The HSE's national lead on testing and tracing, that's a lady by the name of Neve O'Byrne. She said the downward trend in the virus, it had been, it had kind of plateaued. It was kind of steady, steady, slightly down, steady, steady, slightly down. But then from last Wednesday, for whatever reason, it started to reverse. She said since last Wednesday, they've started to see a noticeable increase in the referral of older people people for testing and obviously that's a big big worry. There are currently, this was now up to yesterday 408 COVID-19 patients in hospital and up to yesterday that was the highest since early in March. The latest development now could put the relaxation of most of the remaining public health restrictions in doubt and I know the Taoiseach Micheál Martin he was speaking yesterday, he was asked on a number of different occasions about it yesterday. He said that the rising spread of the virus should act as an alert. And he said because of that, he couldn't guarantee that most restrictions will be lifted next week. He said the COVID numbers were a matter of concern and that the disease now, for whatever reason, has taken the wrong turn. He then was speaking at a Fianna Fáil parliamentary party meeting uh, last night and he said, look, all we can do at this stage now is monitor the evolving situation. And the Tánishta, Leo Varadkar, while addressing his parliamentary uh, party, he also says all of the indicators of the virus are that they're heading in the wrong direction. And it was Leo Varadkar was talking about the 300,000 people who have decided not to get uh, vaccinated for whatever reason. They And he says they are, they now must accept that their choices are affecting other people. Leo Varadkar said the government would discuss the rising COVID numbers before making a decision about reopening uh, tomorrow week. And that decision and that talk amongst the cabinet will happen next Tuesday. So Neffert will meet on Monday. They'll make their recommendations and then the cabinet will make the final sign-off of it on uh, Tuesday. Leo Varadkar did not rule out the possibility of extending vaccine passes for indoor hospitality and he has said it could be there for all of the winter months. Now the Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Houlihan he's been on some annual leave. He's back next week actually. He's expected to chair the Neffert meeting on Monday. The HSC are doing about 17,000 tests a day at community sites across the country. That number is up. That's a high number of people are going forward for testing and tests are reported to be very busy in Kerry, in Waterford and uh, here in Cork. A lot of people going forward to get tested here in Cork, but it's the positivity rate that really has gone high. The positivity rates in the community testing is at over 10%. But then if you look at some parts of the country, it's even higher. Kerry, for example, their positivity rate is at 16.5%. So for every 100 people going forward, over 16 are testing positive. The same high figure is in Waterford and Cavan are at 13.5%. But nationally, the positivity rate is at 10.5%. The Deputy Chief Medical Officer is Ronan Glim, along with the Neffet's Modelling Chief Philip Nolan. They were speaking at a briefing of the COVID Oversight Group yesterday. They said they have particular concerns about this sudden change in the COVID data. Their report 
reporting that there was no clear detectable pattern at this stage. And unfortunately, they're saying that the case numbers are rising across all of the age cohorts. It was Dr. Glynn then blamed the 300,000 people yet to be vaccinated. There's also another 70,000 who came forward for one dose but then failed to come back for the second one. So they're deemed unvaccinated. And uh, he says they are to blame in fueling the current spread. He said the spread of the disease in the 370,000 people who haven't been vaccinated or fully vaccinated, he said that's having a disproportionate impact on the profile of COVID-19 in our hospitals and in our intensive cares, care because two out of every three people in intensive care are unvaccinated. So if they were all vaccinated, they wouldn't end up in intensive care and we wouldn't be having the high numbers inside in the hospitals. And ministers are continued to state publicly, yes, today that the easing of the restrictions is still going to go ahead tomorrow week and obviously the Arts Minister Catherine Martin, she's really hoping that the restrictions get lifted because if the if we go ahead and we do lift the restrictions, it means that music venues and nightclubs will be allowed to open and concerts will be allowed to go uh, ahead and she said that many of those music ven- venues need to open up in order for them to be viable going forward. So there is going to be a lot of discussions held over the next few days. There's going to be a lot of watching of COVID figures. We're going to be back now suddenly to every night on the news going, did you get the figures for today? Did you get the figures for today? We're all going to be watching very closely to see what the hospitalisation numbers are like. But I'm interested in your uh, thoughts. Should we pause it for another, maybe extend it for another month, maybe wait for the numbers to come down. Is Leo Varadkar right in his theory that there is the possibility that the vaccine passes, that we continue using those vaccine passes, certainly for across the winter, which therefore would only mean if you are fully vaccinated, you would be allowed to dine indoors as we've been doing to date. It means the 370,000 people who, for whatever reason themselves, have decided not to get vac- vaccinated, they would not be allowed to go uh, indoors and I know at the moment that people who are not vaccinated can dine outside but we are getting very slowly the temperatures will start to drop they are really starting to drop already and it's going to come to the stage where it's just going to be uncomfortable to be dining outside and everyone's going to want to go indoors that's why I think that October 22nd date had been selected that the big move to go back indoors but should it only be for the vaccinated uh, people your thoughts welcomed if you had an ear to the government or if you had an ear to Neffet what would you be telling them to do about the lifting of restrictions tomorrow week? Some of your thoughts coming in. Tom in Rathgormach we are sick of being locked up it's the people who have not received their vaccines are the ones responsible if we end up going back into lockdown as our ICUs and hospitals will come under pressure from the unvaccinated picking up COVID. We need to get back out socialising says Tom I think open up but only open up for people who have their COVID certs and those that don't have a COVID cert then leave them out and don't leave them in. Well it's one of the things I think that Leo Varadkar is is he hasn't ruled out the possibility that the vaccine passes for indoor hospitality will be there for the winter months so that is one possibility and one thing they could do but at the moment the way they're looking at opening up tomorrow week would be that the COVID passes would be gone and they would be open to hospitality and all indoor events would be open 
regardless of if you're vaccinated or not. Somebody else says the government are taking this too seriously. Of course they have to reopen the country tomorrow week. I'd love to know where they're getting their numbers from. Are they doing this because it is the eve of a bank holiday weekend? It seems they do it whenever a bank holiday is coming. It is now clear that masks and vaccines haven't worked. The virus is here to stay. Well there's a whole host of things wrong with that statement. The vaccines are definitely working. What's it because there's a disproportionate number of unvaccinated people ending up in in hospital. If the vaccines weren't working, then everybody in hospital would have been uh, vaccinated. So it is clear that the vaccines have uh, have have worked. And where are they getting the numbers from? The numbers are from the people who are going forward to get testing. There's been a huge increase in the number of people going forward. And unfortunately, there's been an increase in the number of people testing positive. So it isn't that the government are suddenly just making up the figures. Why? Because there's a bank holiday weekend. Your comment, I'm sorry, makes absolutely no sense to me. Somebody said, yes, absolutely. Tell them, pause the reopening. Leave it until after Christmas. Otherwise, guess what? We'll be back where we have started. And then here's a point I think that I have to agree with. Somebody says, has anybody else noticed that people are not sanitising, hand sanitising as much as before? Also, when you enter some shops, the sanitising stations are not as visible as they used to be. And in other shops, the bottles of hand sanitizers are uh, empty. Are others noticing that? I have to say last weekend when I was out and about, for the first time I I absolutely noticed that I went into one shop and I had to actually go look to see where the hand sanitizer. now it was there but it wasn't as visible as it normally is and I was somewhere else and the bottle of hand sanitizer was empty and I drew attention to it and I said your hand sanitizer is empty and the person in the shop said okay I'll go sort that out uh, now but you are right I have noticed as well I was in a supermarket and I saw two women enter with their masks which was great they walked straight by the hand sanitising station and then I saw them later on in the supermarket with their masks pulled down under their chin having a great old Barney now they were together obviously maybe they were in their own little bubble but I just kind of thought come on girls you're wearing the mask for a reason. Remember, you're wearing the mask to protect other people as well that are around you. So, yeah, I think a bit of complacency has set in and that might also explain why we are getting a rise in the figures. John says, Patricia, thank you for your text. John says, Patricia, this government has a lot to answer for. It looks like we'll be back into a full lockdown for Christmas. Vaccinated people are also getting COVID. The vaccines are wearing off. It's a matter of time. Batten down the hatches, says John. And I would worry when I'm hearing that a number of older people now are getting COVID. The older people were the first to get the vaccines. We're talking about where are we? We're into October. We're into the 10th month of the year. People who would have got got their vaccines back in January. You would wonder, is John Wright, is the vaccine waning in some groups of people? I know the booster jabs are already there for people who are in nursing homes and they're there for people over the age of 80. But I wonder, do NIAC need to come out and really start looking at people under the age of 80 who are living in the community, older people living in the community, do they need to start saying we need to start giving vaccines? I, I do think, and it'll be inter- when they when efforts start looking at the numbers of people who are vaccinated who are ending up in testing positive, if I don't know how many of them are ending up in hospital. Most of the vaccinated people who end up in hospital have an underlying health condition. But when you look at the people in the community, if it's rising in older people, is it because the vaccine is starting to wane? Do, does Neffert need to speak to NIAC because one, you know, NIAC, Neffert can't decide to give the boosters. It's NIAC have to tell 
NEFET and then NEFET make the recommendation and then the HSC kick in. I do think we need to be going down, seriously looking at starting to give uh, boosters. And then somebody else says, good morning Patricia, my query is about the school Debs. Surely it will not go ahead. My daughter came home from school all excited to say the Debs will be going ahead. But what about the rise in cases? What about the ones that are not vaccinated? The schools need to cop on. What hotels will be stupid enough to cater for a hundred plus rowdy, drunk, unvaccinated human beings and I don't know when your daughter is doing, when she's having the Debs but you'll, you will there's no point saying tell the schools to cop on I'm open to correction but most of the Debs are not organised by the schools it's organised by the pupils themselves and I'm, the Debs I suppose can only go ahead if all of the restrictions are lifted on the 22nd which allow then for more people in indoor at indoor events and will allow for vaccinated and unvaccinated people. So I would say to your daughter when she comes home from school today, she better hold off before buying her dress and deciding what she's going to wear to the Debs until we hear what is happening with the reopening on next Friday week. 1850-333-103. John Paul is taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. According to newly released uh, figures, three quarters of the children on a waiting list to access a range of disability services in West Cork have been waiting more than four months. Social Democrat TD Deputy Holly Kearns says she's been contacted by several families who are very concerned and frustrated by these waiting times. Deputy Holly Kearns uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Holly. Good morning, Patricia. And you're you're welcome to the programme. Now, this is a nationwide problem, isn't it? It's not just one for the West Cork region. Absolutely. And just to explain to your listeners who might not be familiar with it, the Children's Disability Network teams have been established to provide services and support for all children with complex needs uh, within defined geographical areas. Um, So... There are teams of health and social care professionals, including nurses, um, occupational therapists, uh, psychologists, physiotherapists, speech and language therapists, um, social work and others. Uh, But say in the West Cork network, as of the 30th of December this year, there are 41 children waiting for initial contact with the team. 11 of those children have been waiting less than four months and 30 have been waiting between four and eight months. And I think we all know, all of your listeners probably know the importance of early intervention for children with complex needs. So to have them waiting for just the initial contact for that long is completely unacceptable. And, and are you the, saying the, the initial contact is just to get to assess, that's just to get assessed to see what they'll need, is it? Yeah, that's before you even get to begin to access the services oh, my, like said, that are so crucial. I thought that they already had, all had their diagnosis, they all knew what they need. I thought they were, they were actually waiting on the individual therapies. That's even worse. It's absolutely outrageous. And you know, the, the, I suppose the, the Children's Disability Network teams are part of the Progressive Disability Services for Children and Young People programme, which is about providing better child-centred care. But this isn't what families are encountering on the ground based on those figures. Like, all of those plans announced for funding are great, but what matters is the everyday service for people. And I've raised this in the Dole on the Disability Matters Committee, um, and I'm always informed that everything's working well. And then the next week, a family, family contacts me about delays. And that's families who are you know, driving two hours to Cork City to access 30 minutes of essential speech and language therapy, talking to parents who are giving up work so they can make sure they get to a cancellation for a private speech and language therapy slot. 
And obviously staffing is a clear issue here. There are gaps between the HSE's own paediatric model of care workforce recommendations and the numbers currently employed. So the HSE National Disability Office have kind of reassured me that they're undertaking um, a national uh, children's disability network team's um, workforce planning process. But like again, that's of little consolation to children who are waiting. And that's for their all. Families. That's all going to take time. Are the are the disability network teams that were introduced? Are they underfunded? Uh, absolutely, and I'll come to actually this the, the most recent budget because I think that's relevant in a second. But just to highlight one quick other thing is that another another really concerning feature um, is the use of what they're calling whole time equivalents. So that means that we get situations like uh, Kinsale, Bandon, and Carrigaline as seen as an area a massive population that has apparently a 0.46 whole time equivalent um, for nursing or a 1.5 physiotherapist. So like, what does that mean? What is 1.46 of a nurse? What does that mean? You know, there's these, all of these strange nuances within it. And it's not just HSE teams, Patricia. I've been working with parents and schools across Cork Southwest to try and get proper uh, numbers of SNAs, resources, teachers, ASC classes, all of those things. And just ultimately... What we have on the ground, the reality is, if a child or even an adult, you know, we're talking about specifically children stuff here, if they have a need, they they are not necessarily provided with the services they need. And we know that people should get that automatically. We live in a country that can afford to do that. So it's about priorities, you know. And um, I do think it's important, to, like I said, to mention the budget because I welcome the increase in disability in, uh, in the health budget, but it falls so far short of, for example the 350 million additional funding needed to address the unmet needs of people with disabilities, which was outlined in the department's own disability capacity review. You know? They, and they, yet they 100, 105 million was allocated for disability services. Exactly. So there's obviously a very pressing need for intervention. People with disabilities experience poverty and social exclusion at much higher levels than the rest of the population. Um, there's a very obvious need for a cost of disability allowance that finally recognises that living with a disability is expensive. And I welcome in the budget the long overdue support for carers. But family carers rightly feel they've been forgotten by the government throughout the pandemic. And I mean, given the contribution they made, it is so disappointing that there was no move on funding a dedicated long-term carers pension scheme. There's things like that. You know, we are in a position as a state where we can afford it. And there's that saying, you know, show me your budget and I'll I'll, I'll tell you your priorities and it's so disappointing that time and time again this isn't prioritised yeah. and ultimately I think just you know I, and it's, it's kind of a broader point but it's a really important one is that it took Ireland 10 years to to bring in the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities to ratify that and then we chose after waiting 10 years so talk about being a laggard anyway then we chose to not ratify the optional protocol which is the part that actually makes people entitled to it you know that you're entitled to education. The most important part, yeah, for exactly. the families. And, and we do know, and any family living with a child with a disability will will tell you, early intervention is vital because if you wait too long, sometimes it can just simply be too late. Absolutely. We have all of this information. There's no need to carry out any reports, any research. All of the information is there in front of us. Um, basically, we need government action, you know, and I don't think there is a taxpayer or a person who would object to it. So it really blows my mind. And, you know, on this, on the Disability Committee, the man we've had, for example, the 
um, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission come in, the, the Chief Commissioner, saying we don't need to further delay the ratification of the optional protocol. It won't cause problems for the department immediately. It will still give the government time to put in place you know, the, the structures, the funding, all of those things. We had the UN Special Rapporteur on Disability. And this is a quote saying, there is no reason known to me that the optional protocol could not be ratified within the next five minutes. Okay. It's something I raised, I raised in the budget okay. yesterday. And, and you also mentioned that for, for some families who are financially in the position, uh, they're able to access private therapies, even though, as you said, that they are travelling from West Cork uh, in, into the city to access them. But for other families, Holly, there are many families can't afford to access private therapies. Absolutely. It's a big disgrace. And yeah. I think, you know, again, if you asked every taxpayer, every person in in Cork, they would say, you know, sh- should a child be more or less entitled to those kind of essential services or healthcare in general based on how deep their pockets are? Absolutely not. And, you know, there obviously was a recognition of how dysfunctional our health service is because since its establishment, it has been dogged by vested interests, which has resulted in this two-tier health system, Patricia, that you just referred to, that you would be more or less able to get care based on how deep your pockets are. As a result of that, there was a cross-party committee which came up with a costed and tested plan. This might sound outlandish to Irish people because we're so used to paying 50 or 60 euros to a GP to pay privately, you know, in order to get services or not be able to get those services. But every other country in Europe has a national health service except Ireland. We spend 22 billion a year on our health service. That's more per head than most other countries. And there was this, like I said, after the 2016 election, when it came up in the door so much to the health service, there was a plan for Sloan to care. Like I said, cross-party, agreed, costed, tested. And what we're seeing is a slow suffocation of that. Three or four, and it's four now, four senior figures from the Sloan to Care Implementatory Advisory Council have resigned saying that there is not the political will to implement Sloan to care. And that is the biggest failure of this government if they don't write this wrong now. Because one of the key recommendations from that um, cross-party group that agreed this was that it cannot be overseen by, for example, the Department of Health or the HSE because there is an institutional aversion to this change. You know, some people like this dysfunctional system because it makes some people an awful lot of money. For the rest of us, it's very damaging to our society and for people to be able to access the health care that they need. And now what the, the government have done is, since these senior people have resigned, they've charged the very institutions that have resistance to this change, uh, the head of the uh, HSC and the most senior official in the Department of Health, to, to charge ahead with the plan. So, And that's only one aspect of the first part of it. They've now reneged on, you know, who's going to oversee the rest of the plan for launch care? Because the first step that was seen as very important was the regionalisation step, Patricia. So, for example, as we know, you know, you probably had loads of stuff coming into the show about Bantry Hospital. There's very different needs for an area based on the geographical spread, based on the age of the population. And what we've never had at the Department of Health is funding for specific areas that are specific to that area. We know a centralised approach doesn't work. Dublin policy isn't necessarily Yeah, effective. the needs are very different from one area to the next. OK, I've got to leave it there, um, Holly. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Social Democrat uh, Dáil Deputy for West Cork, Holly Kearns. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of...
of all-time favourites from Cleana Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. We've been mentioning all week this Friday people across the country are being asked to take part in Shine a Light Night on behalf of Focus Ireland to remind us why it's so important. I'm joined by Dick White who is Regional Development Manager with uh, Focus Ireland. Good morning to you Dick. Good morning Patricia. And you're you're welcome to the programme. Like so many other charities has your fundraising been seriously dented Dick because of the pandemic? Um, We've been challenged uh, to be honest uh, Patricia our services, the use of our services would have increased by over 40% in the, during the pandemic by people requiring our, our, our services and our support. Uh, so that's a, an expensive exercise. So, uh, I, I mean, we had to then stretch our budgets to, to cover that, that service demand. So that's why tomorrow night it's a chance for all of us uh, to help out. Now the plan is to get people to sleep out in their own garden or you can even sleep out in your own home, just don't sleep in your own bed. That's kind of the idea behind it, it, isn't it? That's it. The idea, it's a night of solidarity. Uh, we've been supported in this exercise by Borgosh Energy, which is fantastic. Um, but we're asking people for one night, to give one night to, to sort of discommode themselves, experience something very different that some people here in Cork or our fellow citizens in, uh, encounter on a daily basis of being homeless, of not being certain of where their bed is and not having a bed for the night. So we're asking people to sleep out in their garden, sleep out on the deck. You could sleep on the couch to represent that hidden homeless sector that we deal with uh, and to fundraise for us to, uh, to deliver our services here in Cork. And maybe for, for whole families to get involved. Oh, would, yes, I, I think it's a very interesting exercise for for a, a full family to get involved because a family homelessness is is a huge issue and economic homelessness is a huge issue and I think it's a it's a, a problem. Homelessness is affecting so many within our community um, and so many families. There's so many men, women, and children. Okay, and at the same time that you're doing it, the whole idea is this to try and raise raise money. How can people donate to Shine a Light Night? Yeah, it's it's very simple. It's shine a light at focusireland.ie. You can still register if you want to set up a fundraiser. It's an online portal called Just Giving. You can support it that way. Send that around to your network, or you can just donate on the night um, to to Focus Ireland through that shineralight.ie. Um, it's a really important night for us. It's a night where we put the uh, spotlight on homelessness. It's a national event and it's fabulous that Cork is coming out to support it in, 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 in huge numbers. At this stage, do you know how many people signed up across Cork? Would you, do you have figures? I don't have precise figures, but we have a, a, a very good business sleep out on Spike Island uh, tomorrow night. And we have a multitude of community groups and organisations and individuals uh, dotted all around the county um, sleeping out uh, tomorrow night. The opportunity is still there for people to do it, or you can just donate to it as well. Okay, and homelessness numbers currently, what are they like in, in Cork, Dick? Well, look at this morning, there was in excess of 500 uh, men, women, and children in the southwest area uh, would wake up this morning not knowing where they'll sleep tonight, Patricia. 
Um, it's still far too high. The, the the problem is still there. And uh, I, 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 what we try to do in Focus Ireland is is to develop uh, strategies uh, for people to work themselves out of their situation and back into forever homes. Yeah, and of course, it's also hard, isn't it, to get an accurate figure on homelessness because you've got people couch surfing or yes. you've got yes. families bunked in with another family. Absolutely. And they're not counted. Yeah. And they're not, yeah. And they're not always counted. So so the official figures, not being, not being smart about it, but the official figures uh, only give us a snapshot of so. official life. There is There are more people out there. There are more people who do not uh, have any certainty in the next week or month or whatever uh, where they will be sleeping, where they can uh, run their family, where they can actually house their family that they can call home. Okay. You know? so I, I mean, li- sorry, living with granny and living with your best friend uh, is not a long-term solution. And that's really what we're looking for. And homes and housing is the long-term solution. Okay, focusireland.ie forward slash shine a light. Listen, best of luck with it tomorrow night, Dick, and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Dick White, Region Development Manager with Focus Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I'm going to go to the phone lines because Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media uh, News, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And Paul, I'm very well, thank you. You joined us last week and you were talking about a very frightening attack on a taxi driver when he picked up a fare and the guy pulled a knife on him. And sadly, you're back on to tell us there's been two more attacks. That's right. Uh, The first attack was on the 6th of October. That's the day we were chatting. Uh, We were talking around 11 o'clock in the morning, I think, at the time. Uh, Last night, unfortunately, at around 10 to 7 Another taxi driver picked up uh, a fare uh, somewhere in Cork and he dropped him at Assumption Road, which is just off the Watercourse Road. This was around 10 to 7 last night. Now, this passenger was in the back seat, most uh, because all taxi drivers are carrying people in the back seats at the moment on account of the COVID. This guy was wearing a hoodie and he also had the COVID-19 mask which um, a, a guard of source said to me earlier that these masks are now being worn. Uh, they were meant to be worn for something else. They're now being used to carry out robberies. And, you know, they're, they're making identification of suspects a lot more difficult. This guy in the back of the seat, he pulled a knife, uh, uh, put it to the driver's throat, demanded a sum of cash. Uh, luckily, the driver escaped any injury and the guy left empty-handed. But again, the driver uh, extremely shook up. You can just imagine, you're driving along, suddenly a knife is put to your throat. It's, it's, it's unimaginable, Terrif- you know it's what I mean? absolutely terrifying. terrifying. And there was yeah. there another attack on Tuesday? Yeah, that's Tuesday, the day of the budget. We're talking around half twelve in the afternoon. A taxi driver again picked up a, a passenger in Thomas Davis Street drove a very short distance to the Glen Avenue and before he knew it, this guy who was in the back pulled a knife, demanding cash and put the knife to his throat uh, threatening to slash him if he didn't hand over the money, he ran off with what was described as a small amount of cash. Whether it's a euro or a thousand euro, it just can't 
be described, I suppose, the fear that these drivers are in at the time. It's, it's probably indescribable of what they're actually experiencing. And, you know, I suppose if, if they have money alongside them, they'll just hand them. That's the best thing to do to these people because, you know, if you, if you, if you tend to put up a struggle, it can end in, in, in a very different situation. So I think, look, you know yourself, if, if, if guards are always advising people, if you're, if you're confronted, just hand over the money because these guys and girls just want to get out of it as, as fast as they can. And if, if you put up a struggle in any way, these people tend to panic and they lash out and they can, you know, you, you could end up being stabbed yeah, in, yeah. in a very do, quick period of time. Do the Gardaí think they're linked in any way, Paul? Yeah, they have they have a suspect in mind. Um, they're, they have, what they're looking for though is hard evidence. They have a good idea that this particular suspect is in his 30s. He was described initially on the on the first robbery as being in his 30s, uh, dirty looking, a dirty white top with a leather jacket. Uh, they, they do believe that the same man is responsible. It's um, just gathering the, the hard evidence. Um, all the taxis have been forensically examined. Their CCTV again being trawled through uh, looking for who it is. But of course, you see, you have these guys going around, the hood is up, the, the, the they stop a car and the, the COVID mask is up. So it is making identification that bit more difficult. But the, dry, the, the guards and the detectives that I've been talking to, they do believe that the, the one man is responsible for all three. And the poor old taxi drivers have had a tough time of it uh, with COVID. And they're, I suppose, in some ways desperate for fares to make a bit of money. They don't, they don't make a huge sum of money at the best of times. They don't. We spoke about that the last night. You know, I mean, I, as I said, I've often gone out and filmed the taxi drivers. They might start at six in the morning and before by midday they might have a 10 or a 15 quid in their pocket. They're really, really hard pressed to, to make a living. Um, you know, there, there's lots and lots of taxis on the road. Some people say there are way too many taxis on the road. Deregulation, according to some, was the ruination of the trade. Um, you know, so there's because there's people who are working, say, Monday to Friday and then they're jumping into a taxi at the weekend. To, to make an extra few bob, they might be driving part time. So it, it is it is tougher than ever before. And then, of course, you're in, a, in an environment where we're in a, a you know the fellas are out there coked and out of their heads on heroin as well, looking to get their hands on cash, and they'll do anything. And you know, taxi drivers are easy targets. Mm-hmm. Shocking, it's shocking. But anyway, there there as far as you know, none of the taxi drivers uh, were injured. But it's just the traumatic effect now that they're left with. Exactly. And, you know, like, I, I know the, the, the taxi driver initially on the 6th of October, I believe he was in his late 60s. Uh, I don't know. I don't have an age on the other two men, but it, it can't be easy for anyone, no matter what age. And I suppose, look, you know, you never know. They could be lying in bed tonight and it'll all come back to them in a dream and they'll wake up in a sweat or whatever like that. Um, luckily, I've never had a knife to put, put to my throat. And, you know, I just don't I don't want it to happen. But you just can't imagine what they're experiencing and you know it's, it's something that will live with them for the, for the rest, rest of their, their life, life absolutely absolutely listen Paul as always thank you for that and thanks for joining us thanks Patricia good morning to you that is uh, Paul, Perrin, Paul Byrne Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News and our hearts go out to those taxi drivers that really is a dreadful dreadful thing uh, to happen to them now let me go back to some of your comments coming in to John Paul at 1850 so many people are uh, picking up on something I said about the 
the booster shots for the COVID vaccine and particularly for people who would have got vaccinated in the early stages with the rollout back in January, February, March. Many of those are now over six months since they had both of their vaccines and people are saying, is it starting to wane? We know that there's evidence there that it does wane after a period of time and they started rolling out the booster shots. Do they need to roll the booster shots out to more people? Eleanor was on from Carrigaline to say they are rolling out the booster shots in the community for senior citizens. Her mother got it, but Eleanor also managed to get a uh, booster and she is uh, 66. Well, the booster vaccine has been rolled out. I take it your mother is over, uh, is um, obviously over 80, uh, Eleanor, because what they're doing is they're giving booster shots to anybody 80 and over living in the community. And then for people in nursing homes or congregated settings, it's 65 and over. But there's one other group of people that are getting it and that's people with a weak immune system. And actually, if you go on to the hsc.ie, they have a full list of, you know, like cancer patients, uh, people suffering from kidney disease uh, and a variety of other issues. If you've got a weakened immune system, then those people are also at this stage getting the booster. So I'm assuming that, uh, Eleanor, that's the reason you obviously have a, a weakened immune system that you got it. It isn't been rolled out to everybody yet. That's not to say that it won't happen. I think it will, but it's when it's going to happen. Pat, thank you for your call, Eleanor. Pat in from Moy says, I think we should come down heavy on the unvaccinated. We can't force people to get the vaccination, but surely we could use the COVID the COVID passports more. For example, only allow people into hairdressers, beauticians, gyms, any indoor setting, only allow people in who have been fully vaccinated. Um, Patton from Moy says, you can't stop people going in shopping, so let them do their shopping. But anything else outside of shopping, if they're not vaccinated, then they shouldn't be allowed in. At the end of the day, they chose not to get unvaccinated, so it should be their own problem and make it hard for them so that the rest of us uh, can uh, carry on. And I have to say, I was just talking to John Paul during News at 11 because we're inundated now with calls and texts on this topic. And there's a huge level of anger towards the 370,000 people who were not vaccinated. And I haven't seen that level of anger against unvaccinated before. And we've never made vaccinations uh, mandatory. Even though I did read yesterday in parts of Australia, in the Northern Territory, a huge area in Australia, they are making vaccines mandatory for anybody who works face to face with the general public. So they're going like right across the healthcare facility. They're talking about teachers. They're talking about people in shops, hairdressers, barbers, anyone who come in contact face to face with the general public they have until Christmas Eve to get vaccinated in Australia and if they don't get vaccinated wait for this there's a 5,000 euro fine and instant dismissal from their job the Australians really know how to do it now I'm not saying that it would ever be introduced here but they are seeing it as such a serious issue that that's what uh, they are doing and I imagine judging by some of the texts coming in today we have people saying that we should be making vaccinations mandatory uh, here. Tom uh, says we are uh, no I already got to Tom's uh, comment, thank you for that Tom. Let me go to some of your texts that have come in a lot of uh, texts let's just give you, give you an example of some of the texts that are um, in. Somebody said, Sheridan, people, people are already going to weddings with no COVID passes at the moment. This is crazy. It would actually turn people off going out. There's some reassurance if you feel you're in a crowd with vaccinated people. So there's somebody that doesn't want that particular restriction removed uh, tomorrow uh, week. Morning, Patricia. 
I think this is from John in who's from Roscommon but he's working out at the bypass in Macroom so he's with us during the week. Uh, John says Patricia I think we will be heading for another lockdown. 2,000 plus cases uh, two days this week. We had less cases this time last Christmas and look what happened then. We ended up getting closed down. I was in a pub last Sunday. Wasn't asked for my vaccination cert our phone number they only took my name there were so many people going into the pub and not being asked for their COVID cert uh, which includes some of the pubs back home in Roscommon is there nobody checking in pubs I'm not surprised that the cases are high it's going to be a tough Christmas this year for sure uh, The in defence of publicans uh, John I know there's one restaurant gastropub that I've been to a few times now since the reopening has started and when we went in they'd know us well when we went in the first time we went in we all had to show our COVID certs every time since we've gone in because they know we have our COVID certs every time since we just sign in with the name and phone number so it could be that some of the places you were in the reason that you're not seeing people having their COVID certs checked that they could be regulars and they've already had them checked a moment of correction but I think that that's happening in a number of places Uh, but has complacency set in? Yes it has and I think it's one of the reasons that we are seeing an increase in uh, numbers. Let's wait and see what Neffert have to say about it all. Hi, I think they should remove all of the restrictions on the date they've set aside tomorrow week. Uh, That said, if people don't get vaccinated uh, won't we still have high numbers? This is never going to go away. We need to open up the country and just get on with a living. Dennis said, very simple solution here. Let's open up and let the 370,000 who have refused the jab see how they get on with it. If they need to go to hospital, then refuse them treatment. Half of them probably don't believe in COVID anyway. So why should they be treated for a disease they don't believe in? Transplants have been refused to people for smoking and alcohol dependency. Why should anti-vaxxers have the best of both worlds? If you want treatment, then you should have got your jab says Dennis who makes a, a good point people who have, have been refused liver transplants if they have an alcohol uh, dependency and it's probably the same for smokers for, for, for a lung to get a lung uh, transplant should we be taking the same view with anti-vaxxers people as Dennis that probably don't believe in COVID anyway uh, when they end up in hospital should we, re- should we be refusing to uh, treat them? Someone else wonders, are people with the vaccine still getting COVID? Are most of the cases coming from unvaccinated children under 12? They went back to school recently. No, actually, the numbers in children under 12 have actually fallen. There was a slight peak actually before they went back to school, but the numbers are falling. And there isn't a huge amount of evidence that children under 12, if they do get COVID-19, there isn't a huge amount of evidence that it's been passed on. I know I've one family member whose 10-year-old got uh, COVID. Nobody else, there was another child in the house didn't get COVID. None of the adults in the house who had been fully vaccinated got it. So there isn't huge evidence that it's children. Children certainly are not super spreaders as at the early stages they thought was going to be the case. COVID restrictions should not be lifted, said another uh, texter. Also agree, people are not using sanitizers going into shops the way they once did. People who are not vaccinated are a disgrace, says this texter. It's also so, so annoying that the children's birthday parties are taking place in people's houses. Eileen says, I think no non-vaccinated person should be allowed anywhere indoors. I also feel they shouldn't be given a hospital bed when other people need them. Shame on those who have not got vaccination 
See what I was saying about there is a huge amount of anger towards the unvaccinated. And uh, Patricia, hi, my husband and I both in our 80s got vaccine, got COVID a month ago. God, sorry to hear that. We are both vaccinated, by the way. We were vaccinated back in March. But thank God, neither of us were very ill and we were able to stay at home and made a full recovery. I am begging the government not to reopen on the 22nd or we won't have a Christmas. I hope the unvaccinated won't be allowed to go freely to restaurants and bars. The unvaccinated at the end of the day are taking up hospital beds. Thanking you. OK, that's just a sample of some of the calls and texts coming in. 1850-333-103. And can anybody offer advice to this listener who is trying to get a birth cert? Hi Patricia, this morning I called the HSE Civil Registration Services in Mallow. I phoned them twice. There's a recording which says this office is closed to the public due to COVID-19 but is manned Monday, Thursday and Friday. Then the line goes dead. I need to order a birth cert and you can only do it by phone according to Citizens Advice on the internet. God, that's frustrating, isn't it? Because today is Thursday and it says it's manned on a Thursday and it's not getting, get, getting this listener's not able to get through on the phone line. OK, so let's throw it out there because I'm assuming this isn't the only person who needs to get a birth cert. Uh, any advice for how this listener can get through to the HSE Civil Registration Services in Mallow in order to get a birth cert on a day where the phones are meant to be manned but the line is just going dead. It looks to me like the, the line hasn't been switched over. You know the way the, that actual message would have been on yesterday because it was Wednesday and it would have been there on Tuesday when the office wasn't manned. Somebody just hasn't switched it back on, I'm assuming. Uh, if you've, I mean, you contacted us just there before 11, maybe keep trying. Maybe they don't open until 11. Keep trying. But has anybody else managed to get through to the HSE Civil Registration Services in order to get a birth cert? How did you manage to get through? 1850 333 103. C103 Jobs. Ingredient Solutions. They're based in Boerhaeus. They've got a vacancy for a junior office administrator. If you're interested in that position, can you send a CV, please, to Kelly? at ingredientsolutions.net Full uh, or part-time retail staff are wanted for the Mill Street area info at uh, email to info at monsterfireaidsafety.com A shuttering company is shuttering carpenters wanted for Little Island CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com and a warehouse coordinator is wanted to work in the Quartertown area of Mallow Please email your CV to ian at uh, cravat.ie. That's a look at some of the jobs available on our job link today. If you'd like further details or if you'd like to see more job opportunities, then please go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now One Family, the organisation that advocates on behalf of one parent families are fearful that there will be a tsunami of marriage breakups during the pandemic. To discuss their concerns, I'm joined by Chief Executive of One Family and that is uh, Karen Kiernan. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Are you already getting calls from people looking for help? 
Oh, we've we've been getting calls right through the pandemic, and last year was absolutely unprecedented in terms of the needs of people. Um, you know, the pandemic and the lockdowns just caused huge p- problems for people parenting on their own, and particularly for people sharing parenting of their children who may be separated already. But we're also hearing a huge amount of problems and issues from people who who may want to separate or who may need to separate because of some of the things that have those problems in the family that have been exacerbated through um, the pandemic and lockdown. And we know there's been much higher rates of domestic abuse and violence, for example, but also just people being cooped up together, financial pressures, accommodation pressure. Um, We do expect there to be a lot more separation and divorce applications in the coming years. And I suppose what we're saying is, let's get ahead of this. Let's get the services in place now so that more people aren't struggling unnecessarily over the next couple of years. Do you believe it's a nationwide issue? Well, there's no reason to think not. Um, We've certainly been getting calls in our helpline for the last 18 months from people all over the country. Um, We've also then, because of lockdown, been able to provide a lot of services by telephone or online. So we've people from all over the country doing our parenting when separated courses on Zoom, for example. You know, whatever services people might need, we're trying to meet them. And they are people from every nook and cranny in the country. So this is more than likely going to be a national issue and we need um, be able to be able to support people to separate well, to focus on their children, to help them not just go down the cul-de-sac of adversarial court cases, which can take a lot of time and a lot of money, but to try and come up with their own solutions um, to how they want to separate and what will work for their particular family. Yeah, and to try to keep the children at the centre of it, which can sometimes be very difficult. So couples who perhaps were struggling, Karen, before the pandemic, was it spending so much time under the one roof, cooped up together during all the lockdowns when you couldn't go anywhere and you couldn't go to work? Did that just Is that just pushing some people over the edge? For some people, yes. I mean, there's a whole range, you know, every... I suppose every family has their own story. But yes, people being cooped up together with a kind of financial pressures, relationship pressures, um, uh, people, you know, we really did see a big increase in domestic abuse and violence in parents under pressure and maybe not coping well with their children um, people not having um, enough money for food children who you know weren't getting I suppose meals at school or after school activities and people really under pressure to keep everything going so what we're seeing is people struggled massively throughout the pandemic and we believe the signs are there and what we're seeing from other countries is that more people are separating and that is going to cause a lot of problems because we're short of accommodation mm-hmm. already in Ireland mm-hmm. and when people separate they each need a home perhaps for their children to spend time with them and you know those homes aren't necessarily there or they're not affordable so what we'd like to see are more parenting supports, mediation, counselling supports available to separating families so that they can separate well, they can do their best for their children rather than going down straight down into court if they don't need to do that because of course the courts are backlogged as well. They're very adversarial in nature. People don't necessarily get to make decisions for themselves whereas if they can think about it, maybe have a third party help them come to agreements outside of court. That can be a better solution for the family in the long run and kind of keep the children at the centre of things. 
Yeah, and what you're saying and what what you are seeing at One Family has been very much backed up. I mean, I saw that the court services annual report for this summer showed that the number of divorce applications in the state last year were up by nearly a third and, and they're expecting that, if not more, again this year. Yeah, now there is another reason for that and that's because we changed the wait time for divorce. Okay. So um, it used to be four out of five years you had to be separated, then we reduced that through a referendum to two out of three years. So that's why there was a spike last year. Okay. So that'll continue this year, but what we think will also happen is we'll see a pandemic spike. So so that's, you know, that's not the pandemic last year, but it does mean that the courts were under additional pressure because more people were coming through for divorce um, then, you know, the rates were much higher last year and we'd expect to see the same again this year and maybe next year. Um, and then it should even out apart from what we think will happen because of the pandemic. So it's just important that we're ready for that and we're thinking about that in terms of families' needs, in terms of families changing, as I said, more accommodation, more awareness that there could be more um, separating families and there, there could be some very difficult things going on in some of those families and we need to be looking out for that. And we need to really help people separate well for their children and to be able to develop parenting plans and and financial arrangements that will see them through the future and see them through their children's childhoods because families still will get together for big life events, you know, and some people can manage that well and some people need a bit more support and that's absolutely okay. So we're saying to government, look, let's get ahead of this a bit. Let's start you know, investing a bit more into family support services to help keep people out of court, help prevent ongoing conflict, because that's where children suffer, not necessarily from a separation per se, but from ongoing fighting within a family. That's really not good for anybody in the family, the parents or the children. So let's try and support people because we know this is happening. Okay, and I know, as you say, your own group, one family have been so busy. I was reading on the papers uh, during the week from your own group, you've a waiting list for your counselling services, you're so busy. Yeah, we've never had that before. And during the pandemic, we switched to a telephone counselling service. So it's been available nationally, which is brilliant, but it has meant a lot more people have wanted the service. Um, And actually, because of the anxiety and stress that a lot of parents and young people were experiencing, they haven't moved on from our counselling service as quickly as in other years. And I think you'd probably see that in a lot of organisations. And what it's meant is we now have a very long waiting list that we've had to close and we've never had to do that before. So we are disappointed about that and we are trying to continue to kind of fundraise and get in additional money to do more counselling support people because some people are very isolated around the country and you know the 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 weekly or bi-weekly telephone counseling has been a bit of a lifeline for them so we want to keep supporting people but we are under pressure financially in terms of trying to do that okay all right and we had the budget this week from a one parent family's point of view what was your reaction to the budget karen yeah, I mean, it's funny, we came up with the word piecemeal and then we heard lots of other people saying it. So it was a bit of a, a late, late show one, a little bit of everything. Some of the things we were looking for, we got, um, you know, finally, some of the discrimination that was, you know, um, in the Department of Social Protection aimed at lone parents. Some of that is gone in terms of uh, access to the back to school clothing and footwear lands. But we're still really disappointed to see the parents leave, which they're increasing all the time. Lone parents only get half what two parent families get in terms of paid parents leave um, which is really not good enough and um, you know it's not good for the babies and, and the very young children living in one parent families we saw that 
children um, whose parents relied on social welfare. So these are the poorest children really in the country and many live in one-parent families. There was a little bit of extra funding towards um, the, the child part of a social welfare payment, which is really welcome, but not as much as in previous years. So we know, again, that a lot of families are going to struggle. They're going to struggle to pay because inflation has gone up. Energy inflation is really high, over 7%. Um, so people are just going to struggle even more. Um, so, you know, whilst a lot of the investment is very welcome and needed, the reality is for a lot of people, they're still going to struggle to get enough food on their tables to yeah. be quite honest to it's pay going to, it's for going their to be a tough accommodation yeah. it is and, and to pay for their energy and fuel bills and, and children are very affected um, by this and you know they are the, the, the people who did worst through the pandemic were children okay. you know they and we need to keep supporting them Alright uh, listen Karen pleasure is always to talk to you thank you for that and thanks for joining us Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Karen Kiernan, who is the Chief Executive of One uh, Family. And when we were talking about what Karen reckons is going to be this tsunami of marriage breakups because of the pandemic, here's the other side of that. A listener says, Patricia, while you're on about marriage breakups due to COVID, well, I'm the opposite. I met a girl just before COVID. Uh, We got to know each other fairly fast due to the fact that we couldn't go out on any dates because of lockdown. Let's just say I would once have described myself as a lonely farmer, but now I'm I'm a very happy farmer and that was all because of the pandemic. Thank you for that. That's my WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And just for the lady who's trying to get a birth cert and is having problems getting through to the HSC Civil Registration uh, Services, uh, somebody's saying if you they got through to social work department at the HSC, if you get through to any HSC department, they're able to put you through to the birth cert office. Somebody said that's what I did a few weeks ago I paid up the money and then they posted it out to me and somebody also wants to point out that you can order a birth cert online if you want to check out that option as well thank you for that to 0862 103 103 let's go to Fomoy Garda station where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly for this week's Garda file good morning to you John good morning Patricia, um, Patricia. We, thanks for having me uh, it's my pleasure we start with a burglary in Liscarroll yeah, and I suppose overall the burglary situation has been quiet. We've only had one for the for the last week. The one we did have occurred at Linfield Liscarroll last Friday, and uh, time segment involved there. It, it occurred there between nine a.m. and two thirty in the afternoon, and uh, we'd be appealing there for anyone who was in the area who may indeed even have dash cam footage. Um, if they saw anything unusual in that area, there that's last Friday between nine a.m. and two thirty. The guardie there at Mallow, 022 um, The house was, uh, was burgled between those hours and a number of items were stolen. So if people could um, test their mind back, were you in that area last Friday? And if so, did you see anything? OK, anything at all uh, suspicious. Now, fraudulent text messages, unfortunately, still doing the rounds. They're still happening. And uh, in this particular case, in the Con area, there there was one, and uh, the caller got a text message, again purporting to be from the bank. And they, they clicked on the link, and literally within uh, within an hour or two, they got a phone call from their own bank, a genuine phone call, basically, that their account had been cleared out of a five-figure sum. So for people to be very, very aware, as I said, those text messages, they're still out there, um, be, just delete immediately. Um, and your bank is not going to contact you in that 
pain. Yeah, I think I think possibly the ones that are most dangerous are the ones that come and it looks like it is coming from the genuine text service of the bank because you'd have previous text messages Absolutely. from the bank and suddenly a false one arrives, but it's on the same thread. That has it's thrown, on the same thread. That's I, thrown a few people. That has thrown a few people and I believe that this was the case in, in this in this situation as well. Um, uh, I have seen them come in uh, on my own thread uh, from a particular financial institution and, uh, yeah, it, it would throw you. And... Um, uh, but so for people to be very, very much just, aware Just of that. ring your bank on a number that you know and trust to find out if the message is genuinely from the bank or not. Uh, absolutely, but I, I think your default position should be, you know, anything like that, it's not. Yeah. Just, just your default position is just, you know, ignore it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's just so many of them. There's just so uh, There's so many, many of them, them and uh, we believe, uh, I, I suppose, it could ramp up now with Christmas coming as well, you know? Yeah, and also with Christmas coming, we've even though we're trying to always get people to shop locally, but we, every one of us have to buy some items online that have to get delivered if you can't get them locally. Be careful of packages being left outside your door. Exactly, and it's good advice. Shop locally if you can at all. Um, keep the business in your own community. As regards delivery of packages, if you have to get them, just have a tried and trusted method in place that if you're not there, that you know that uh, one of your neighbours is in a position to take in the item for you. Um, locally, in a lot of places, you, you know, that is the way. But um, I'm aware I, in you all there, on Tuesday there were a couple of instances <clears throat> in one estate down in you all where packages were left and were subsequently stolen um, that they hadn't been retrieved. So there were incidents up the country maybe where vans were followed. Okay. Uh, and where packages were left just inside uh, patio doors or that are just left on um, just on, left on the doorstep and uh, the deliveries were noted and somebody called by afterwards you know oh, so wow people, so it isn't even just opportunistic it's somebody following a courier it could be it could, there have been instances of this in the past and, and it could be with you know with Christmas coming that there could be some in the future as well okay alright do, um, do be careful Quick word, Halloween, um, just for people to be very cautious, say do not use fireworks. You know, the uh, accident and emergency are already overloaded and the last thing they needed, you know, is a few children or young people coming in with half their hand missing as a result of a firework blowing up. There's a reason they're they're illegal in this country, you know, that uh, they're only uh, legal in situations where they're used as part of a festival by people who are hired in to do that particular job but there can be some horrendous injuries every Halloween um, in different places around the country as a result of fireworks exploding. And it's also um, very frightening for older people if they're, if somebody living on their own and there's a lot of fireworks going off and it drives pets absolutely nuts every year we'll uh, end absolutely. up getting inundated with dogs going missing. Uh, between dogs going missing and alarms going off, but particularly pets, I mean, they're driven absolutely mental with it, you know. Yeah. Um, finally, dear Patricia, can I just mention uh, an operation that we had in place below in Middleton? Um, it correlates with Operation End that we're uh, driving within the southern region as regards targeting bogus workmen. Um, in this particular instance, things couldn't have worked out better in that we got a couple of uh, uh, tip-offs locally of uh, a group of men uh, in the usual white van working in an estate. Um, to further uh, add to our look, the unit working in Middleton had already dealt with another group of workmen previously who had been at the same house. 
they responded, uh, elderly lady, vulnerable, um, they responded, they went up to the house, she had withdrawn some money from the bank but hadn't been paid over. Right. And uh, in this case, the particular group, three individuals uh, from a well-known um, uh, you know, organisation, say Bogus Workmen uh, organisation, had been travelled up from Killarney. And, uh, you know, to be wrong, to you say they were doing work in the house. They were doing purporting to be doing work in the house. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Gardaí used, I suppose, all the legislation in their arsenal. And this case, the Roads Act, of, um, <clears throat> the Roads Act and um, unfortunately, the three individuals concerned had to leave the area on foot as their van was impounded. And <laughs> so... Well done, yeah. but you got to be, I mean, these guys, they'll knock on your door and they, they target exactly what you're talking about, an elderly person living on their own. They're very pushy, they're very intimidating and that's how they manage to get these elderly people, vulnerable people sucked in to do the job. And then, of course, it's shoddy workmanship, uh, they overcharge and often what happens is they'll do more damage than good with the work that they do. Absolutely, you know, and and for people just not to think that it's rural areas that are being targeted, you know, they're targeting houses within towns, uh, houses within villages, you know, so it's very important, you know, for people to keep a a weather eye open, you know, and if they see an elderly uh, person, uh, you know, and they're getting work done, three or four fellas, you know, red van, white van, whatever, they're not from the locality, they're not from any known group of building contractors or contractors doing guttering and particularly if you know that that person has been targeted in the past and this is a feature and it was a feature in this particular incident as well whereby it's somebody who has been targeted in the past and they will be they will go back to them afterwards and in some cases it could be a different group will go back to them because they're probably giving their name to someone else as well so look everything worked well in this particular thing and it was great that people were very alert as to the situation and um, as I said, the Gardaí dealt with it and disrupted their activities. Okay, well done, well done. Listen, John, thank you for that. Have a good week, and thank we'll talk again much, soon. Patricia, Take care. You. That is Sergeant John Kelly, based from Whitegar this day. We're going to take a break. We've news at twelve midday on the way. Still a lot of comments coming in. I'll get to all of those, and we're running an Insta poll as well over on Instagram on the C103 Instagram stories. Uh, do you want to see all restrictions lifted by tomorrow week, Friday, October the twenty-second? And I'm told the the results so far is a. 50-50 split. We've a divided community for sure. OK, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're looking for your pet questions as well because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us. 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thank you to people who were offering words of advice to the lady who was having problems getting her birth cert. She's been back on to us and she took my advice. I told her to keep ringing. It could be just that the phones hadn't been switched back on and she managed to get through. So she's all sorted and done and dusted. Thank you for that. But James in Cloyne, his advice was, was to keep trying. She would get through eventually because he needed to get a birth cert. And he said that he spoke to a lovely lady who told him to send in the cheque that was required, mark the envelope with her name on it, and then she would 
had issued the birth cert to uh, James. So James said, well, it was very much the old fashioned way of picking up the phone, ringing somebody, saying I'll send on the cheque. Everything was done and dusted. And he said that the lady who he spoke to, and I don't know what office it was in, it was some HSE uh, office where they issued the birth cert. He, he, he just said that she could not have been nicer. And he said he would give her 11 out of 10 for her service. I don't have her name, but well done, whoever that was. I always love when we hear really nice service like that. Well done. And thank you to James and Cloyne for sharing that uh, with us. And actually, do you remember yesterday, it was around about this time, I mentioned that one of our listeners was having real bad problem with the smell coming out of the washing machine and she tried vinegar and bread soda and nothing was working and she said it was getting so bad now that the clothes even though she was putting in her fabric a lot of fabric softener but the clothes were starting to come out smelling a bit funny and just was at her wits end and we had huge reaction everybody was throwing in their top and safety worth as to what you could do and how you could uh, get rid of it well somebody yeah, Catherine Kathleen has gone to the bother of sending me in a an empty box of a an item that she uses and she said I phoned you yesterday about the washing machine and I'm enclosing the Calgon box with the details and she writes in her letter that some people live in hard water areas and have lime scale and bacteria and all the bacteria can build up in the machine. Kathleen says I use two of these Calgon Powerball tablets in the drum compartment every time I do a wash and I wash at 60 degrees. No problem at all with smells from the washing machine. You can buy it in any supermarket. And those Calgon tablets, I only thought that they were for the build-up of Limescale. I thought it was for people who live in an area with hard water. But now I read on the box that Kathleen has kindly sent sent in. It protects, It does. it's three in one. It protects against limescale, which I think was what it was originally designed for. But it also protects against dirt building up in the washing machine and odours. And I was not aware of that. So thank you for that. So to, And because yesterday when we got the initial text in from the listener, we had other people saying, oh, desperate for the answer to this because I had the very same uh, problem. So if people want to try that, it's the Calgon Powerball tablets as they say you've probably overlooked it because you think it's only for limescale but it also works for dirt and odours in your washing machine and thank you to Kathleen for sending that on to us Can I go back to some of your texts coming in to us on whether we should open up or not and this divide that is happening now I've never seen anything like it like we're getting today on the divide between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Mike in Skibbereen says the biggest mistake that the government ever made was not making the vaccine compulsory in this country. They should have made it compulsory and then every single public place in order for you to get in you must show your vaccination cert Mike so that would have been one way of solving it. John in Cove says in his opinion the country should be open fully as and from today. He says the government have the people now against each other they're at each other's throat again it's now the vaccinated against the unvaccinated but the unvaccinated are in a much smaller minority when there's only 300,000 out of what have we have a population of 5 million there's a million children even though the over 12s have started to get vaccinated so probably about 4.5 million would we say 
of which over 4 million are vaccinated. So it's the 300,000 unvaccinated. But people are, you're right, people are at their throats. Judging by the comments coming in today, never seen anything like it. On the COVID certs, Kathleen said, five of us went to Killarney. We stayed in a hotel. They never asked us for our COVID cert. That's because, Kathleen, they didn't have to ask you for your COVID cert. And it's one of the things that I scratched my head over as well. When the, the current indoor dining that's going on at the moment that came in on the 26th of July, which is allowing indoor dining for people who are fully vaccinated or who've recovered from COVID-19 in the past six months and people showing their COVID search in order to prove it. It wasn't for hotel guests and I couldn't understand it because we were about to go on holidays. We did some staycationing where I was in two different hotels around the country after the 26th of July and I was really surprised and then when I looked into it we didn't need to prove that we had our vaccine in order to stay in a hotel and I think that had something to do with trying to get hospitality back up and running so that would have been the reason Kathleen why you weren't actually asked for it now if you go into that hotel as a guest just to go in for dinner they'd ask you for your COVID certificate but as a guest you you wouldn't you you, you weren't going to be asked for it not uh, necessary okay some of your texts in to us let me take a look down through some of these I think people that are not vaccinated it should be up to themselves whether or not they get it well that's the way it is this texter says I'm not vaccinated I won't be getting the vaccine I don't agree with the vaccine and that's exactly what we we live in a democracy they've never made vaccines mandatory in this uh, country not the same for other uh, countries nobody's going to force you to get a uh, vaccine so that's not going to change but then literally after that text came in immediately somebody texted in and said we should be doing exactly what they're doing in the Northern Territories in Australia they're giving everybody until Christmas Eve who work with any members of the public they have until Christmas Eve to get their vaccine if they don't get their vaccine they'll be fined €5,000 an instant dismissal from the job this listener says the Australians know how to do it we should be doing the same thing here but somebody else who's not vaccinated is annoyed by some of the comments coming in from vaccinated people against unvaccinated Hi Patricia I'm disgusted with the comments that are coming into your programme today I have not gotten vaccinated that is my choice it's called my right however I've noticed an awful lot of vaccinated people totally breaking the rules it's not that I don't believe in Covid and shame on your listeners you do not know what's going on behind closed doors. Now I'm not too sure what you mean by what's going on behind closed doors. I'm assuming what you're saying is nobody knows your reasons for not getting the vaccine and yes you are absolutely right. You're entitled. It's your choice. It's your body whether you want to get the vaccine or not. There are a tiny, tiny proportion of people who've got a medical reason for not getting a COVID-19 vaccine but I'm told they are very, very rare and I'm assuming if it was a medical reason, if you're that unwell that you can't get the vaccine, I'm assuming you would be going outside the door you'd be trying to protect uh, yourself uh, but 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 this listener is is very annoyed and disgusted with the comments but as I say I've never seen so many people against the unvaccinated and I think judging by some of the texts and comments coming in it's because of the high number of unvaccinated people that are in hospitals that are in our ICUs there's a knock-on effect then for people who are having delays getting hospital treatment and now the knock-on effect is also going to be if the numbers of unvaccinated continue to get COVID and end up getting very unwell and end up in hospital the knock-on effect will be that we won't be reopening the country tomorrow week 
because, as Dr Ronan Glynn said, there's a disproportionate number of unvaccinated people ending up in uh, hospital. And I think that's why people are getting angry. I don't think anybody's going to for- are saying or forcing you to get the vaccine, but people are just angry because the unvaccinated now are having effect on the vaccinated. That's what I'm picking up from uh, people today. And then listen to this. My daughter is in hospital at the moment. She went in with an infection and she got COVID while she was in hospital. She's there six weeks and she's in intensive care at the moment. Oh my God, my heart goes out to you and we wish nothing but good health to your daughter and hopefully she does uh, recover. That's a tough, tough journey to be going through at the moment. Somebody else says, I think restrictions were lifted too soon and people are not keeping keeping their distance. I've also noticed not everybody's wearing their masks properly. And as previous listeners have said, many people are not hand sanitising anymore. You certainly will notice that when you're going in and out of shops. And says, hi, Patricia, I agree with you about the shops. Not all of them have hand san- sanitizer clearly on display and the trolley cleaning. Uh, like you, I've pointed it out to some shop owners, but I've also seen people just walk pa- past with their trolleys and not bothering using the sanitizers. I think people who are vaccinate, who are not vaccinated should not be allowed anywhere in doors. Uh, I think everything should be reopened. This COVID is going to be with us now for a long time. We have to learn to live with it and just be careful. That is from Anne. Hi Patricia, I think the government are doing a great job job, but I really do feel that vaccines need to be mandatory. Hi Patricia, I got my vaccination in Killarney and the nurse told me at the time that I was getting my vaccine that I could still get COVID. I just won't get as sick as people who are not vaccinated, but you still can get COVID. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what's happening, unfortunately. And then Michael says, I cannot see us opening up tomorrow week under the present circumstances. It is simply too dangerous. We also have to bear in mind, look how far we have come. I have been waiting for this date, October 22nd, so I could get back doing my dancing. But my gut feeling is telling me no. The disgusting thing about all of this is the high volume of unvaccinated filling our hospital beds. They should be named and shamed. Oh, Michael, that's a bit... Uh, as they're holding the country to ransom, something will be have to have to be done with these people. Woo. I take it our listener who's not vaccinated will not will be very annoyed, Michael, with uh, your comment. But it's your opinion, and you are entitled to it. There does say some of the calls, texts, and comments coming in from a very angry bunch of people uh, today. We're still looking for your pet questions, by the way, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us after half past twelve, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul is taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lottery draw this afternoon at four o'clock in the community office. They have a jackpot this week of €3,700. Y'all Community Meals on Wheels service, they are seeking new volunteers to help them to join their delivery rotas. Now the service operates Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. It covers Y'all Town and the environments and it also covers the Castle Marcher area. If you've got any spare time in your hands and would like to help out Y'all Meals on wheels can you call Richard on 087 283 1365 or you can email meals on wheels y'all at gmail.com 
Calumny's final run of the season will be held next Sunday. Registration is open from 11am at Calumny Inn and the run will depart at 12 noon. The 20-year rule applies. And also on Sunday, St Brogan's have a tractor run in aid of school enhancement fund. It'll leave from Bandon GAA grounds next uh, Sunday with registration open from 11am to 12.30. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie And by the way, Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News, who was on to us earlier uh, talking about the two more cases of taxi drivers being held with somebody with a knife uh, to their throat uh, and that was on top of the one that he'd spoken to us about earlier on in the month whereas he's been back on to us to say in the last hour another taxi driver was robbed on Shandon Street in the city Wow, God help the poor old taxi driver stay safe out there, that really is shocking and if it is all linked to one individual, the sooner that one individual is caught and taken off the streets uh, the better for sure. Okay, I want to go to the phone lines um, to Dennis. Dennis is in uh, Dripsy. Um, Good afternoon to you Dennis. Good afternoon Patricia. Uh, Dennis, you were on to us about your phone bill. I was indeed. Tell us more. Um, I got the bill in the August bill in early in August that's right and the seventh of September the seventh of September I rang them up and I was talking to a guy called Jimmy. My bill is seventy one ninety six and that contract was supposed to run until next February. And suddenly uh, the bill came in at uh, seventy seven. So, okay. Uh, I asked why, because there was no explanation. And uh, he didn't give me an explanation either. But he said he's had it sorted out and in next month's bill, which he did, intuitively did. But the next bill came in. I paid the full amount, and the next bill came in at... Um, it was gone up. They took, they took the... the um, they took the seven off and they added on ten, making it eighty-seven. Okay. And I got on again and I was talking to a guy called I think he was Aaron on the. Okay. 26th. Yeah. The names. The names don't matter. But go on, yeah. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, I got a letter yesterday from them. A contract change. They're breaking the contract. And my contract is supposed to run until February. And now I'm supposed to be eighty-seven. Uh, Euro and what the next bill is coming in that will be in the motor partner's time I suppose um, I don't know what that bill, be, bill will be So they're saying you signed up to a 12 month contract yeah. and now they're breaking the contract yeah, because yeah. they're charging you more but if they're breaking the contract can you get out of it? Oh, I can, yeah. On yeah. yesterday's one, I can, yeah. Okay. All right. But your your point is that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. They're, if you... they're adding away just at will and there's nobody taking responsibility. Yeah. If they if you sign a contract that, okay, put it up at the end of the contract. Yeah. yeah. But it, should, it, it shouldn't be the I case. I agree with you on that one, yeah. And uh, Jimmy Mayfield says he received a similar, uh, or he received a letter from his phone company to say they will be charging him extra in the next few months. Yeah. The reason to this, the reason Jimmy Mayfield has been charged extra is his phone line is using older cabling and there, there's a new wiring system that they're putting in but if Jimmy opts to move over to that it, he'll bid it'll go up by 30 euro a month 
if he remains with the older system it's still going to uh, go up uh, but they're telling him he can get out of the contract as well yeah it seems to be a new thing that phone companies are, are doing and there's no name to the new letter yeah just be, just beware of it but you can get out of it you can shop around and, and see if you can get a better uh, deal yeah. somewhere is that what you're going to do I'll shop around. Yeah, yeah, do, do, do. All right, Dennis. Okay. Thank you for Thank that. Uh, bye bye. Just be careful of that. It looks like you think you're signing a contract and you think that's it. It's going to be the same amount for the duration of the contract, but it looks like phone companies are uh, certainly. Uh, they seem to be a law unto themselves, uh, do they not? Now, when we're talking about people with who are fully vaccinated getting COVID, Marie in the city said 97. 97, 99.7% of Waterford adults are vaccinated. So if this is the case, why is Waterford one of the highest areas in the country at the moment? I think that that should be uh, mentioned. Now, I don't know where you're getting the figure of 99.7. Okay, it's coming in from Waterford local radio or WLR. Almost all adults in Waterford are vaccinated against COVID-19. This is for the over 18s in Waterford by September the 15th, making the county one of the most uh, immunised population in Ireland. OK, so over 18s, it's at 99.7. And Marie is right that Waterford is one of the areas that now has the highest, I think they've got a 16.5% uh, positivity rate. But you see, the answer is kind of in the, is in the, is in that statement. It's the adults that are vaccinated. Now, the adults that are vaccinated can, of course, still get COVID-19 just because you vaccinate doesn't mean you can't get the vaccine. But what the vaccine does is if you get COVID, you more than likely will not get sick. In many cases, you probably won't even know that you have it. And it protects you against ending up in hospital and really protects you against going into ICU and and are dying from COVID-19. Now, I do know one of the explanations coming out of Waterford is they've had a spike in children. These are the unvaccinated children. There seem to be a spike in primary school children. And remember, when they count the numbers, they don't differentiate between adults and children. That's not to say that adults are not also getting vaccinated adults are not also getting it. And I saw a doctor saying that uh, people with very mild symptoms adults who are vaccinated are getting it but in the main they seem to be having a spike for some reason in children. School children have been linked to a, a reason for the up for the large number of uh, cases. So Marie, that would explain what is going on in Waterford. Uh, what else is coming in on to us by sorry, there's a lot of uh, texts uh, coming in. Um, hi, uh, hi, Patricia. It took me up to today to realise how horrible people have become, have become because of this pandemic. How dare people think you can force someone to do something? You've got very brave keyboard warriors. By the way, I am vaccinated, says John in Mallow, but he doesn't feel that the vaccinated people should be pushing their thoughts and views on to people who are unvaccinated. Ger said, are one third of people in ICU fully vaccinated? They are, Ger, but when the last breakdown of figures that I got, the majority of them unfortunately were either uh, elderly people are there were people with underlying health conditions and that's why somebody with an underlying health condition even though they're vaccinated still have to really protect themselves hence the reason that they've decided to give a booster because they're fearful that the vaccine will wane 
Um, and that's why and you know listen and I know there are unvaccinated people listening who think that I've become a mouthpiece for the government I haven't but I just think we vaccinate to protect ourselves but we also vaccinate to protect other people and to protect very vulnerable people because when we're out and about even as vaccinated people if we do pick it up, in many cases, we'll get it. We won't even know we have it. But if we're not doing all of the things that we're meant to do, we could then go on and pass it on to somebody. And you don't know if you're with somebody who's immune compromised. You don't know if somebody with an underlying health uh, condition. Uh, and that's why, va- that's, and that's the reasons vaccines work. We protect ourselves, but we also protect other people. That's why it is so, Im- that's why vaccinations are so important. John from Roscommon, who is working out on the McCroom Bypass, is back to us again says Patricia I agree with some of your listeners most of the patients in hospital are not vaccinated I can't see them lifting the restrictions next week and they should do what they do in Australia fine people heavily why should we suffer because the unvaccinated people do not want to receive a uh, vaccination 1850 There's a lot more text coming in, but unfortunately I have to look down through them to proofread them before I can bring them to air because I'm not too sure what some of the comments are. Okay, let's... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Take a break and you know what we'll do? We will get on to Jane, our resident vet. If you've got a, a if you have a question for Jane for one of the pets in your household, get your questions in. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, joins us. Um, good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're you are very welcome. We were talking on the Guard the file earlier about 
fireworks and you know the warning to people not to buy illegal uh, fireworks but I made the point about fireworks and the fear it can cause to dogs in particular dogs but to, to any pets and people need to be careful we're coming into that season of people letting off fireworks and firecrackers you need to make sure dogs can run and be run many miles away from home if they get a fright Absolutely. They can run in a blind panic so much so that they lose their bearings essentially and can't find their way home. And I know as a veterinary practice, we always seem to, in this season, kind of coming up to the colder weather and celebratory seasons on Halloween, we will get an increase in calls of people looking, saying, you know, have, have you heard of my dog? He's been missing. Um, and if we had heard of anything to let them know. And it's really heartbreaking because a lot of the time these dogs don't return. So I think the main things I would say is, if you know your dog or cat is fearful of fireworks and I suppose if they're a puppy and they may not have encountered them before, if you're in any doubt, just make sure they're secure within the house on the kind of nights where this may be happening, um, even though it's less than desirable. And I suppose my second thing would be to build them a little den in the house. So somewhere really comfortable that they can go, that's nice and kind of insulated with a few blankets and sound. I normally say that little dog crates are a really great thing because they can kind of make that into a little safe nest. And if you get them used to it now so that they can go in there and have a little rest, it becomes a point of safety when you really need it. So when the loud bangs or thunderstorms or fireworks are going off, they can retreat in there as a safe private place where they feel secure. Playing a little bit of ambient music in the background is another really helpful thing as well. Just, just It may not eliminate the sound entirely and you don't want to be blasting out rock music or anything like that, but just something gentle to kind of um, break up the silence in between the bangs is really helpful. But my final piece of advice would be now is the time to make sure that your pet is microchipped and their details are up to date so that, God forbid, if the worst does happen and they run off in a blind panic and get lost in either a storm or due to fireworks or loud bangs, that when they are presented to either the guardie or a veterinary practice and scanned for a microchip, those details will connect directly back to you on the database so we can ensure that your your pet can be reunited with you That's very great swiftly advice. And, and avoid yeah. heartbreak. That's good. That is great advice. Okay, straight into questions. Trish has been on about her 12-year-old plus chihuahua, neutered female, totally an indoor dog, recently been diagnosed with arthritis in her front leg. She was put on something called Rumadel, for pain and mm-hmm. Trish has also put her on a supplement called You Move. What would Jane mm-hmm. feel about an infrared heat to put on the dog's legs? Trish uses it on her own and she finds it really good but she wonders would it be okay to use in a dog an infrared lamp? Oh, this is a really interesting question, not one I've come across recently. I think well don't forget in your, your dog attention for the arthritis picking up those subtle signs of stiffness and pain early on is really helpful because it ensures that we can arrange kind of adequate pain relief and management um, for to keep that pet as comfortable as we can for as long as we can. So it sounds like from your description that she's on what's called a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory so that reduces inflammation and it's also pain relief and you move is um, it's a supplement essentially it has um, kind of it has compounds in it that will support joint health long term um, so fatty acids and glucosamine and chondroitin which are things similarly that you know humans take sometimes when they suffer from our, from sore joints um, infrared is an interesting one this is not something that I'm hugely familiar with I know that it has been used in dogs and cats I would say that if you're interested in going down the route of using therapy like that, then it may be worth asking your vet if they could refer you to a veterinary physiotherapist to discuss a a good long-term plan for your pet. It may be that they might suggest 
um, things like infrared therapy or pulse therapy, but it might be that something beneficial for them might be things like hydrotherapy, so in swimming pools, or physiotherapy, so the equivalent but on land. Um, I think it's really great. I just take quite a committed owner to to get results with physiotherapy, hydrotherapy, or any of those kind of allied therapies, but it's not something I'm hugely familiar with myself, but I think the best point of guidance was chat to your vet and ask for a referral to a veterinary physiotherapist. And there, is such a thing as a, there is such a thing as a veterinary physiotherapist, obviously. There is indeed. Yeah. And I think one really, really important thing is your vet is the best person to guide you um, as regards referral or if that is appropriate in, there, in your case, because they'll have examined the animal. Um, I, I think certainly it sounds like it might be a good idea from, from what I've heard here, but um, your own vet will be the best person to guide you and they'll be able to refer you to the right kind of appropriately qualified physiotherapist. Because I suppose like in all professions, you want to make sure that the, the professional that's dealing with you is appropriately qualified and skilled um, and certainly that you know your vet will be referring you to somebody who's who's kind of they've had experience with in the past in your local area so yes veterinary physiotherapists do it's such a thing and in my experience yeah with cases it really really makes a big difference okay Mirren has been on she's got a jack russell now she doesn't say how old the jack russell is but he keeps biting and licking his legs to the point now that they're looking pink and sore why would he be doing this and any advice on how to stop him Okay, if he's biting and licking his legs to the point where they're red and sore, he's uncomfortable and most probably itchy. Um, so I think the main thing is, first first and foremost, make sure that your parasite control is up to date. So for fleas, mites and lice, um, just you know obtain a, a treatment from your vet to make sure that's up to date if it's not already. So usually spot-ons are a monthly and some tablet products are every three months, but speak to your vet about what's the appropriate treatment schedule for what you're normally using. It does sound like there may be a deeper problem here that's focused on the front legs. Um, it could be anything from a skin infection, so what's called a pyoderma, or it could even be an allergy. But what I would say is this is not something to wait on. I don't think it's going to just go away on its own if, if it's really um, going at its little feet to the point where they're red and, uh, red and sore. It definitely needs veterinary attention. So this is the one where I'd, I'd make an appointment with your vet for a little worm workup of their skin disease and they'll be able to guide you as to appropriate treatment. And some testing, let's say, like taking little samples with a tape strip um, to look at under a microscope might even be required, but your vet could be the best person to judge that on the day. But that helps us to essentially diagnose exactly what the issue is and how best to treat it. Okay, and I know uh, many years ago we had an, an older dog, now it was a collie dog, who started that incessant licking. And mm. it was a sign of arthritis. It was only then we realised that he was, he was, she was trying to lick the pain away. If it was an older mm. dog, could it be? It can be. If it's over, let's say, joints is the classic one. So if it's the feet predominantly, it's usually itch. But if it's over joints, then it could indeed be, be pain. Yeah. I think yeah. We, yeah, a good thorough physical examination yeah. will tell a lot. I think. Okay, staying with Jack Russell's. This is a, a, a different uh, Jack Russell. A little Jack Russell puppy this time round has taken a liking to orange peel. She got the first bit out of the waste paper bin. Now, if I'm peeling an orange, she's mad to get the peel. Would it be doing her any harm to let her have some of it? Hmm. This is an unusual one. I'm not sure I've ever heard of a dog taking a liking to orange peel, so <laughs> your dog definitely has un unique taste. Um, I can't think the, of any obvious toxicity off the top of my head, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand by that without doing a little bit of reading to make sure. My gut feeling, however, is that I, I don't think it would be the most nutritionally appropriate thing for your dog to be snacking on. It's probably quite exceptionally high in vitamin C, 
and I suppose the oils within it might cause a little bit of upset tummy. So if you think about, let's say, the oils that are in the the surface of citrus fruit, they can be really quite acidic. And I can imagine ingesting reasonable amounts of that might lead to upset tummies. So to be honest with you, I'd say it's probably best avoided. Okay, and this is a long-haired Jack Russell cross with a pug. He's a a two-year-old. Now, he's weeing on everything outside. Uh, Even my sister came to visit and he weed up against her leg. Any cure, please. He is completely house-trained and goes out to the toilet in the yard. But whenever they're out walking, he just seems to be constantly going to the toilet. Bless him, he's marking his territory, I think, by the sounds of it. Um, he's going up to all of the things he likes, including probably the legs of people he likes, to mark them as his own. Um, this is scent marking, and it's largely behavioural. There's not a lot you can do about it once it starts, is what I would say. Um, distraction is sometimes a good tactic, and if you're if the problem mainly occurs when you're out and about and you want to kind of limit that behaviour, really good on-the-lead kind of training or heel work to kind of keep them focused on you rather than focused on scent marking everything in the vicinity will probably be helpful from that point of view. He's otherwise well in himself, eating, drinking and his peeing is normal for him. So let's say he's he's maintaining his house training inside, he's not having accidents that might indicate he has a bladder issue or a kidney issue, then it is most likely behavioural in this case. We do see it a little bit more in unneutered males, so entire males. Um, anecdotally castration can change it a little bit so it could reduce the behavior but there's no guarantees with that because most of the behaviors associated with kind of being kind of a, a teenager or adult boy um such as scent marking um etc are learned behaviors so although castration may reduce them it most likely will not eliminate them because as they're learned they've kind of just become part of their behavioral patterns and it's likely that they'll stick around so i think distraction and lots of on-lead work is probably the best way to limit it when you're out and about Okay, Joan has a pug. He's a cross between a bulldog and a pug. He's eating plastic all the time. Anything he can get his hands on with plastic, gone in a flash. Is he missing a vitamin? Why would he be doing this? He's a one-year-old male, not neutered yet. Okay, um, I can say with pretty much certainty that it won't be that he's lacking a vitamin. So generally, if dogs and cats are eating funny objects, it's usually behavioural, so it's usually boredom or they're requiring a little bit of stimulation um, or even habit um, rather than missing a vitamin. So when you start eating objects or let's say stones and plastic, etc., to supplement something in your diet, it's it's a disease called pica. It's exceedingly rare in dogs and cats, um, so it generally tends to be that they've just got into the habit of eating these things. I would say really, really need to discourage this behaviour right now because dogs eating plastic only ends one one way and it usually ends with a blockage in the intestine that requires surgery and that can be life-threatening so you really need to try and keep your dog away from all things it could be eating as regards plastic and but i think the main thing is this dog is probably wanting brain stimulation so it's probably a bit bored so making sure you're keeping up with your walks you're playing and engaging with the dog sometimes doing a little bit of training to stimulate their brain can help but potentially using stuffed toys like Kongs, for example. There's toys on the market that are really robust plastic, but they're safe for your dog to chew and they can be really, really indestructible. And you can stuff them with all manner of things like little bits of their kibble nuts and maybe a little bit of cream cheese. 
and it can keep them entertained and their brains stimulated in the same way that chewing plastic would, but exceptionally safer than it would be. So I would really kind of try and tackle this head on because it could end very dangerously. Yeah, you could end up with uh, ending up having to have a major mm-hmm. operation done, etc. Okay, Absolutely. listen, as always, Jane, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat again next week. You too, thank you. Thanks a million. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket and they are part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. As we wrap up the programme, before we go, Mary was on when we are talking about the cleaning of the washing machines, about the Calgon tablets that Kathleen sent us in a packet for to show us how good they are. She said, I've been using them in my machine. I put it in a big hot wash and the machine is perfect. I have my washing machine 16 to 18 years, says Mary, and it's still going strong. That is really great to hear. Thank you uh, for that. And that's where we do wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you at uh, 10 o'clock uh, tomorrow morning. Our apologies if we didn't get around to all your texts. Way too many uh, coming in today but we do promise we do read them all. Uh, that's where I leave you. Until tomorrow 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.